Well, welcome to Converge, a podcast from Common Ground Northeast, where we get to know Black faith leaders across Indianapolis. I'm Neil Miller. And I'm Austin Yoder. Today, our guest is Reverend Richard Curry. He has pastored True Tried Missionary Baptist Church right here in Indianapolis for the last 19 years and has spent nearly three decades working at the Indiana Department of Corrections. Pastor Curry is a graduate of Wesley Seminary at Indiana Wesleyan University and is currently pursuing a doctorate degree in strategic leadership with a concentration in servant leadership from Regent University. We are so grateful to be virtually in his presence tonight. Pastor Curry, welcome. And thank you. Thank you for inviting us. We're excited. Well, Pastor Kerr, we're very excited to, to get to know you a little bit more. So why don't you start off with a little bit of your story. Uh, you, you were raised in Indianapolis, right? Can you start there and let us know how you got to where you are? Yeah. Um, I'm born and bred in Indianapolis, Indiana, uh, a product of Indianapolis Public Schools, uh, the, the Broad Ripple High School. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's not, unfortunately, I went there, uh, graduated in 1982. Uh, 1983, I entered the United States Army, served in uh, the United States Army for a brief period of time, uh, was actually a war veteran of uh, Desert Shield, Desert Storm, oh, wow. uh, got out, came back and started with the Indiana Department of Correction maybe in 1992, been with them ever since, uh, and uh, I had a call on my life maybe 1994 to... Uh, or actually, I answered the call to uh, become a, uh, a minister at the time, and I was appointed a youth pastor at the Corinthian Missionary Baptist Church. Mm -hmm. And I served there for about eight years. And then in 2002, I started with the True Tribe Missionary Baptist Church, and we've been there ever since. Um, we're very active uh, in the community, uh, serving with the, uh, the near Northwest uh neighborhood association uh, that's based out of Flanner House. And so um, I just have a passion for uh, community. I have a passion for God's people. I have a passion for the lost. And so uh, I'm right in the, in the good neighborhood, really, I would say. Yeah. I, uh, first of all, Pastor Curry, thank you for your service. I think you're the first thank guest you. of ours who has joined us who did serve in the military. And so I want, I, I'm so interested in how that kind of prepared you for the ministry you're in now and, and what it's like to be in the military and how that impacts your theology. Cause I think that lends you a very different perspective uh, than those of us who haven't served. I, I think uh, actually the military actually saved my life. I believe it mm. gave me uh, and I, I wish I could have went to school like uh, normal people and, and went mm -hmm. to college and not have be pursuing college degrees when I'm 56 years old. I ever, I wasn't mature enough. And so uh, mm -hmm. I had to escape. I, again, I was in the inner city. So it was, it was, it, uh, the military was an escape for me. And mm -hmm. so it taught discipline, it taught me uh, work ethic, it taught me all those things. And really um, it kind of, fits into ministry because you know we're in the army of the lord and we we're supposed yeah. to be just as uh second timothy says we're supposed to be uh you know fit for war uh, and so I, I just think it, it it was good timing and it helped me to prepare me to uh be the man that not only the man i am but the man of god that i am yeah Pastor Curry, I'm curious about as you shift from your, you know, weekly job of being in the corrections unit to Sunday morning going to a church and preaching to, you know, preaching to the choir, so to speak. Uh, what is that like for you? Do you feel like there's any transition or is it seamless for you? There's, there's one God that, that loves all his children or is it, is it kind of a jarring uh, juxtaposition of those two things? It's an amazing story. Uh, I start uh, when I started pastoring there. I really wanted to separate the two things: my vocation and my occupation. I really did. Mm. So the, the first Sunday I started after I finished preaching, I was going back to my office, and one of the members pulled me off to the side and says, uh, "You work for the Department of Correction, don't you?" I said, "I do." She says, "My son is there, and mm. uh, he's." And, wow. and I knew then, I said, well, 
they're one and the same. They really are. And and I just believe, I used to wrestle with the fact that, you know, here I am working for the Department of Correction, kind of, you know, I'm the problem or whatever the case may be. But it, then it dawned on me that we need Christians in every walk of life. And yeah. uh, so I'm able to uh, assist uh, families, not only in our own congregation, but uh, throughout the city and, and, and throughout the state. I, I'm um, I've got a pretty good job. I I, I kind of manage all the prisons throughout the state, so I travel oh, wow. a lot and chance to interact with folk, and it, it's just a great job because uh, I look at it this way: uh, being as uh, uh, in corrections, uh, I'm able to affect or impact. Uh, well, we have maybe twenty nine thousand inmates in our system. Oh, wow. All I mean, you know, so by the decisions that I make or the impact that I, that I make as I walk through the prison. So it's, it, it, it's, it's rewarding, I believe it is. Absolutely. I mean, what an incredible um, just impact you get to have in so many different spheres. It, it's really interesting to be having this conversation. Obviously, this is a podcast where we do talk about the subject of race. And, and obviously, we live in America. And I think it's it's you, when having a, a conversation about race in America, it's, it can be tough to separate it from our justice system and from our prisons. Like when you have a conversation about equality, what, and, and I think, so I think there's a lot of misconceptions about, uh, about prison in uh, majority communities in our country. What, yeah, what would you want people to know? What have you experienced in your time working with the Department of Corrections that you think is of value to people who might not know what goes on uh, in that world? Okay, uh, first of all, uh, a, a prison is a, really a microcosm of a neighborhood. It mm -hmm. really is. And as you walk around, you see people that you know. In fact, there are people that I uh, that I grew up with or eat dinner with or know their mom and dad. So it's like another community. Um, unfortunately, uh, some of the people who are in prison have made terrible decisions. Okay? And, uh, and some have made terrible decisions repeatedly. Uh, I, I do believe there, there, there is a place for those who continue to break the law. But uh, what I like to see is some type of reform because uh, there is level of disproportionality uh, with uh, the criminal justice system, where uh, if you uh, the funding, you you can get better uh, treatment uh, or actually get a, a fair chance. Uh, I, I had the opportunity during my stop. I, I left the Department of Correction for about almost two years, and I ran yeah. actually the superintendent of the Marion County Juvenile Detention Center. And that's where I really got introduced to the the, the uh, to the notion or to the concept of disproportionality. When I used to watch and go to court with some of the kids, and some of the kids' parents who had insurance, although they may have been on drugs, they were released to their parents to go to maybe Fairbanks House. But those who don't have insurance end up, and that's the way it is in the prison system, we end up getting their services while they do time. So yeah. there's a different line of thinking uh, as far as that's concerned. And disproportionality is real. I mean, it's uh, um, it's kind of the have and have not. And so uh, unfortunately, there are a lot of people that end up doing time or never get the services really they need uh, because they have, they have to do the actual time there. It's unfortunate, but that's true. Yeah. What do you see as the the role of, of churches, specifically in in where you are? When you're in the Department of Corrections, you're seeing things in and out. Um, can you can you tell us what you've seen? Some good things that churches have done um, to kind of express their faith in the midst and in the populations you work with. Well, um, we we got a long way to go. Okay, I mean sometimes yeah. uh, churches. Uh, I get a chance to watch churches go into prisons and they, they do what they call prison ministry, which is really not prison ministry. They're holding a, a service and, and so 
yeah. church. I mean, it's a prison. And uh, here's the thing. When you go in and, and it's, it's good stuff, it's feel-good stuff, but 97% of these people get out. Okay, we have to destroy the myth of when they get out that they're just people just like we are. Um, what I didn't tell you was 40% of my church is ex-offenders or those who have, uh, have brushed with the law. Yeah. And so I can't, and I mean, my, my worship leader, I had him in prison and I, after eight years, he, he, he wrote me a letter. He says, man, can I come join your church? I said, man, yes. By all means. Mm-hmm. So he's been with me. Uh, I, I, I married. Uh, I married him and all that stuff, man. And so, man, it's mm-hmm. just some good stories. And I think we don't we don't get a chance to hear some of the good stories sometimes as well. But what I will say about churches is we have to destroy uh, the walls of of saying, you know, these folk, uh, you know, they broke the law. So now what? I mean. They have to come back, and when they come back to society, there has to be the church. I view the church as as Matthew 18, uh, when Jesus says, uh, uh, upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He says, and I've given unto you keys. So the church has the authority to bind what's in uh, Bind on earth was on was in heaven, and loose on earth was was been loosed in heaven. So what I say to that is that the church is being left in charge, biblically, not the politicians, not not you know they have their place, but the church is in charge of kingdom building. And if we're going to restore the kingdom here on earth, the churches have to get it right. And I think we kind of stray from that. We we expect everybody else to take that role. Uh, you can't arrest yourself out of this stuff, you know. So we don't need more policemen. I mean, and uh, and uh, we don't we we certainly don't need more politicians. What we need is the church to stand up and take its rightful place in society. Yeah, yeah. What a what a beautiful full reminder. I think in so many churches that I've been a part of or that I've seen, like, yeah, it's, it's easy to go in and hold a service in a prison or in, in an environment that is foreign or uncomfortable to you. But what's tough is, yeah, like, are you going to welcome those people into your lives, into your communities, into your congregations? I think it's such a beautiful, I mean, 40% is, is amazing because I think, um, I mean, I think society as a whole, but churches being a microcosm of that, do a bad job or a lot, a lot of, not all churches, obviously, but a lot of churches do a bad job of providing the, the resources in the community for people um, once they get out of uh, the system or, or kind of reassimilate back into society. So what an incredible thing that your church uh, is doing. That's amazing. It's something I wish more churches would do. I, uh, this is more of a statement. I'm not sure I'm making my way up to a question, but I think that that's just such a, what an incredible example you're setting uh, for other churches and in, in how you're dealing with this issue specifically. I, uh, I kind of got some of the, so I, this is sort of tangentially related being about church. Um, but one of the questions we ask is when it comes to the topic of race in the church, what are you most passionate about? And you had mentioned changing the narrative of bad theology and erasing the myths of the black church. That really stuck out to me when I read it. And I would love to know, uh, just how you define that, what you mean by that. Well, first of all, uh, the, for so long, uh, you know, uh, and if you look historically, uh, uh, the black church, uh, I call it the black church because at one time we could not def- definitely necessarily worship uh, hmm. it, with, with other freely. Okay. And so uh, that, that, that moniker was kind of placed upon us. But the black church has been the pillar of the community years. I mean, whether it's been, again, uh, whether it's been a basketball league that helped save my life. I mean, you know, from, uh, gave me something to do when I was when I was going to be running the streets or whatever the case may be, or offering food and services. Uh, man, the, the, the black church has always been there. Uh, but sometimes uh, they 
created that narrative. Uh, and I say they, I, uh, you ask who they are, but they're, they're, they're a group of people that, you know, that, that kind of uh, espouse this beliefism that what we do in the black church is not satisfying or it's not, mm. you know, or we're too emotional or whatever the case may be, mm. uh, or our theology is not straight or whatever the case may be. Uh, I, I just say, you know, that's hogwash to me because uh, you know, I'm an expository preacher and, uh, and I've learned under the best. And I, and some of the uh, greatest uh, preachers that I know are African American, uh, and their their life transforming. Uh, the whole African American worship experience, if you don't know about it, it it, it can be a little overwhelming to you. Mm. Uh, but uh, it's just expressing uh, what God has brought us through. Um, I remember mm. in Bible college, quick story. Uh, one of my professors asked me to pray and you know i was praying passionately and he and he after i finished he says you know you don't have to holler to god and god can hear us all and i, I said man if you've been what i've been through if you understood what i've been through you would holler too mm-hmm. and so i think when you don't know the culture of something it's easy to you know point fingers or whatever the case yeah yeah, I, I want to come back to a statement you made when you said the black church has always been there. Um, I, yeah. I feel like having never been a part of a black congregation, looking from the outside, it does seem like the 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 church, the black church specifically, is always there. Like it's there, it's a part of the community, it's a pillar of the community. Everyone knows where it is. You, you like you said, there's basketball leagues, there's food, there's all sorts of things. Like it's a it's a social center. It seems of, of the community that's there. Um, to to contrast that with where most white evangelical churches are, the church is just like, that's an hour and a half where I spend my Sunday. And then I don't like, there's not too much else that's there. It's, it's, it's really kind of sectioned off. It seems like not to throw too many stereotypes out there, but that, that's my experience. Do you, what's your thought about how that works out? I, I think you, you know, I, I kind of share those same things. I mean, I think, uh, with, with 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 the black church uh, because it was the epicenter uh, because back in the, you know in the 50s and the, and the 60s even in Indianapolis everyone lived in the same neighborhood your teacher lived in the same neighborhood your doctor lived in the same neighborhood and if you do a study of Indiana Avenue or in Lockfield in that area there everybody lived in that neighborhood uh, and. I remember my teacher, I lived uh, on 40th and Boulevard. I remember my teacher living down the street from me. And so they actually lived in the neighborhood with us. We They actually went to church with us. And it kind of made it hard to act crazy in school, by the way. <laughs> but but um, those things were there. And um, those were the resources, so to speak. So... You know, if little Johnny got in trouble, we pooled the resources within our church, within our, and the connections within our church. And it was kind of a kingdom, you know, where, okay, your doctor goes there, don't worry about it. If he's sick, bring him to me tomorrow, or whatever the case may be. So needs were being met, mm-hmm. um, always in the black church. Uh, the strategy was we didn't have a, a convention center to meet in. So if you do, um, one of my favorite mentors is Dr. King and uh, his way of doing things. And, um, you know, it was the church where they had their strategy meetings, you know, that churches where everybody ate dinner after church. I mean, you know, and it, it was, it was a place, it was actually a place where we could be ourselves without any ridicule or without any, without any repercussions. And so, that's the that's the heritage of the black church, and when you come to the black church, man, it's like family, man. You know, and and you know, you got someone's grandmother who everybody calls mother, and you know, and and uh, and so it's just it's just a family oriented. Um, it has shifted from somewhat now, you know, uh, with 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 neighborhoods expanding. Uh, and the advent of the mega church has taken uh, has 
taken some of the 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 family element away, I believe. Hmm. So yeah. that that's what I mean. And now on the on uh, as far as the as the white church is concerned, uh, I I really think you know. And I've been I preached in a, in a bunch of white churches, and and you're right, it's more like man, hey, you know, we're we're doing this, we're gonna get out of here, you know, uh, man, don't go over, don't, don't, don't we got, we got lunch time. plans, man, we got lunch plans, we gotta get yeah. out of it. Yeah, so uh, uh, you know, um, and I just think it's just it's nothing wrong with that. I, I don't think I think it's just mm-hmm. a cultural thing. I think that's the. The, the the freedom of worship you you can be who you are that's why so many churches really so I mean I don't I don't I don't struggle with that yeah what Pastor Curry when I hear you talk about what your church is doing and your work with the Department of Corrections like it does feel to me like this really beautiful example of servant leadership which is something you clearly care about as we said in your intro it's your doctorate concentration. But I think servant leadership, at least in a lot of the spaces I have been in, is kind of a buzzword. You know, you see it on brochures or it's going to be the topic of the men's retreat that's coming up. But I think there's a lot of people that you're like, if what is servant leadership? And they would probably stumble through a definition. Um, So for someone who's so well versed in it and cares about it as much as you do, I would love to know how you define servant leadership in your own life. Yeah, servant leadership is a is more of a, a activity more than and an attitude more than it is uh, any action or, hmm. or any any title that's involved. It's really you know treating others fairly, uh, treating others the right way, and it's really it captures the essence of Jesus and His earthly ministry hmm. in thirteen, uh, where He washed all the disciples' feet. Okay, and it's really, it's really getting out there and doing the right thing for the right reasons uh, at the right time. I would say that, and, and it, it doesn't. Servant leadership does not allow you to discriminate. It doesn't allow you to say, "Hey, I'm not going to wash your feet, Judas." Okay, Jesus washed everyone's feet. You know, even when he knew someone was going to betray. So that's what servant leadership is, is putting uh, yourself on the back burner uh, to do mm-hmm. something for a greater uh, and a bigger cause. And that's what servant leadership Everybody can't do it. I mean, and uh, it's free to all, but you have to have the mindset and the calling to do that, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, th- there was another phrase and a, a theme from a different episode that we recorded that I want to bring back here. Uh, when, when you talked about pulling all of your resources together as a church, if somebody needed something, um, you guys cover the funds, you, you can do that. Um, <clears throat> in, in today's day, I mean, the black church has existed on its own with, with no support from any other uh, ethnicity, white church or whatever. And also throughout a time when it was, you know, harassed and, and put down and it still survived and it still was able to, to thrive in many six sections and opportunities. Now we, I feel like our country and especially many white churches are, are looking to, to re-engage and say, oops, maybe we made a mistake. Maybe something in the last 400 years, there, there was something that we did that was wrong. Um, what is your feel as as you interact with other white churches like ours um, that are coming to you and asking you questions. Um, another guest we had on the show talked about like, look, we we've been fine. Like we've not been sitting on the sidelines waiting for you guys to come save us. Like we're, we're doing okay. Mm-hmm. Um, if what would you say to churches who, who recognize that, okay, there's work to be done here, but it's not that typical, Hey, let's do the quote unquote prison ministry or let's go in the inner city and do some program, some VBS program, and then hop back out. Like, what does real relationship look like to you uh, between white churches? And is, is it even something that you desire? Oh, yeah, uh, I believe so. I believe God blesses unity. And I believe uh, oftentimes we haven't uh, made the strides that we should have is because it's uh, Sunday morning. I think Dr. King said at 11 o'clock a.m. is the most segregated hour in America. Uh, yeah. And 
it has to be where we pool our resources together uh, and and get the job done. And it's got to be community ministry. Uh, community ministry is what I mean is is that it's not just a feel good thing. It's not you know it, it, it's actually meeting the needs of others. One of the things of serving leadership, and I, I want to go back to that is. Uh, that when you come in contact with someone, a servant leader leaves them in better condition than they were, or they do not put them in further jeopardy. Okay. Uh, oh, interesting. So, so we have a lot of homeless in our neighborhood. So uh, they beg for money. Okay. And I teach our congregation not to necessarily give them money. Uh, because it feels good to get money you can, and you can walk away or whatever the case may be, but you may be adding and compounding their problem. If they're addicted to alcohol, if they're addicted to drugs, you, you're feeding their problems. So when they say they're hungry, we, we teach our congregation to go get them some food. Okay. Or, or when they say they need gas, instead of giving them money, I'll follow me up to the gas station and I'll fill your car. Okay. And because if we don't meet those needs, uh, and, and I believe there's big time trust issues with churches all around anyway, um, they don't believe that we know the Jesus that we claim to know uh, because we're, we, we spend a lot of time uh, huddled up in our own churches and then we come out for a special occasion which gives me the great segue. Community ministry, as one of my mentors would say, is not us and them. It's us. Wow. And I think that's what we capture in the in the black neighborhood. Look, it, it that's my that's my cousin. That's my that's my aunt. That's 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 people we're kin to. So it can't be us and them. Because if if it's like, a, well, we're going to feed them, yep. then it's, it, it's not genuine. As you look forward to what your church is, is moving into in the next, you know, three to five years, like, what are your dreams? Like, what are your hopes for what your community is going to be like? Um, how do you hope you grow? What, what are the ways that you're looking to, to just advance and grow deeper in the gospel within your church? Yeah. Um, our motto is we want to, uh, or our vision is, is that we want to become a 24-hour day, seven-day-a-week uh, community kingdom-building church, uh, which doesn't mean that we have to be open 24 hours a day, but we need to be accessible. Um, you know, people are hungry way after 1 o'clock in the afternoon on Sunday. They, uh, or people need a ride. And so I, I want our church to be that epicenter where we're meeting uh, meeting needs. And we don't have to meet all the needs. It's about partnerships and relationships with other communities and other, other community leaders. And, and there's 96 churches in, our, in my neighborhood alone. Man, everybody ought to be saved, man. But it's, we kind of work in silos, okay? And um, we, I think we could do better if we partner together. Uh, and to get the work done. So I don't have to specialize in everything. Yeah. Okay. But this is what True Tribe does. Okay? This is what the other churches do. This is what the other churches do. And I think that's what we mean by community ministry. And we can solve those issues um, because you don't have to be everything to everybody. You just have to do something. So, yeah. That's uh, really, and that's what we've been doing. I tell you what, we, we I go to community meetings, man, maybe three times a month, and man, you don't get that time back. You really don't. I mean, it's. But I think it's important. One of the things that I wanted when I first started, and I told our congregation, I want people to know who we are. Hmm. I want them to be identify who I am as I walk down the street. That's important to me. Um, and, and so because the churches get such a bad rap sometimes, especially pastors get a, rap, a bad rap. And in the African-American community, there's other things. Uh, we've been accused of chasing the money and things that are grants and this and that. That's a whole other subject. 
I don't want your grant. I, I, I want your trust. I want, I want that relationship. How can I partner with you to do what we need to do? That's important to me. Yeah. I think that's amazing. And I think what you're describing and how your church is, is approaching the community is and approaching kind of approaching our, our biblical mandate to, um, to minister to those around us, to minister to those less fortunate than us. What's so cool about it is, is you're describing helping others in a way that first of all, actually helps, but also does require sacrifice and discomfort. And I think, um, in, in majority communities, there's such an aversion to that. Um, it's like, I want to engage with these things in a way that makes me feel good. And, um, if it's not going to make me feel good, I'm not interested. And so I think it's, it, what, what a beautiful, um, example of leadership that is to say, we're going to be, yeah, we're going to be a 24 hour church. Um, and that is uh, going to require a certain amount of discomfort and not always feeling good about yourself. And so I just think that's incredibly, incredibly inspiring. I want to kind of bring our conversation back a little bit to the topic of race as, um, you know, that's uh, the predominant topic that we've been kind of discussing on the podcast. And I, I, I would love to hear what you think the Bible has to say about race, because I think there's a lot of white Christians who want to pretend that like, you know, we're all the same in God's eyes, red and yellow, black and white. They're all, pre you know, like the, the Bible doesn't, the Bible doesn't want us to engage with race the way we do, but I, I would love to hear kind of from a biblical context, how you, what you think the Bible has to say about this topic. Well, first of all, I believe that, you know, we all are saved by the same blood and uh, by the same Christ. We're all led by, as First Corinthians says, by the same spirit. Uh, and so there, there is no uh, respect of persons. Uh, so we're all the same. I, I think that uh, oftentimes we've created a bad narrative. And this, is, this goes back to uh, how... Many have used the Bible to to spring load their 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 belief systems, and, uh, and uh, it's really it's really the opposite. Okay, I mean you have to go back in history, uh, where and not too far back. I'm 56 years old, but uh, uh, Jim Crow was going on when I was born. My mother could not walk into the front door of Shapiro's when when I was born. Oh, wow. She had to be back. Okay, wow. so when I look at race, I look at uh, when I look at racism, uh, it is the it is the absence of uh, the 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 reduction of resources. Hmm. Okay, so um, you know when you go back and look at it. It builds a narrative that if you live in a certain area that you're successful or whatever the case may be. But really, uh, the laws have been formed in a way. Uh, the first GI Bill, African-Americans were not, you know, were not able to cash in. Or the first Homestead Act, where a lot of people lived, uh, white and black, lived in the same neighborhood, but they paid the whites to move out to Carmel. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but the blacks didn't get paid. And so it was the absence of resources uh, that that create this gap. And somehow, you know, there's a bad uh, belief system going on that if you have these things, you've been successful or God has shined upon you. And that's not the case. These are man-made, created things. Uh, I always say that there's things that go on on 26th street that are not allowed to go on on 126th street. Mm -hmm. okay. uh, where I serve, there's not a store. Uh, there, there's, um, where, where, where I serve, uh, they've closed most of the schools. Okay. Uh, where I serve, there's not a bank. The bank is gone. They have a teller machine down the street by Flatter House, but there's no bank. Okay. Uh, where I serve, they reduce the routes as far as Indigo. I mean, so 
absence of resources uh, that that play a part. Um, and, and when you look at it in, in, in its proper perspective, uh, then then you can see the problem. Uh, and you can see, and you can also see the solution. Uh, mm. But people don't want to face that. And as long as you can believe the narrative that you're better than me because you live in a certain place or you drive something or, and it's even affected the black community because uh, research suggests that once you make it out of the ghetto, you don't come back. Hmm. You don't come back and help somebody get out. So, I mean, you know, uh, by the way, ghettos are, they're sectioned off. If you look at the word ghetto and its originality, it's a sectioned off place void of resources where they place people uh, and so you know um, so the, a lot of things I'll say this uh, you know in, in my neighborhood where I serve uh, you know when a car breaks down then you might see another car pulling it by a rope but if you go in another neighborhood then you got it triple A okay uh, okay and so it's the different types of resources that are available to those, uh, and 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 it's the absence of those resources down in the neighborhood, which affects uh, how we do business from day to day, um, and and that's the main thing that I see, uh, you know, with with this and the advent of selling the, the idea that we ought to get out of the neighborhood and never come back. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and, and so a lot of people have made a mass exodus uh, and I'm not knocking them. People can live where they want to live, but don't forget where you came from. Uh, and don't forget that you have a responsibility. And all of us, by the way, have a responsibility to take care of the least, the last, the left out and the lost. So that's what I would say. Yeah. I so appreciate you contextualizing these issues to where we live. Cause I think it's very easy for us to be like, yeah, I know I get it. America has a systemic racism issue, but it might be tougher for some people to be like Indianapolis has a systemic racist, like the neighborhood and the, the town I live, you know, I, I live in Greenwood, but like Greenwood has a systemic racism issue because that makes it feel a little more visceral, a little more personal. And it, it helps us like understand like, oh, this is something I'm a part of too. Hopefully the solution, but also the problem. And, and I think obviously systemic racism has been um, much more, pre not prevalent, but um, it's probably not the right word. What I'm trying to say is we all have heard about it a lot more in the last year. There's probably some people who weren't even quite aware of what it was prior to uh, maybe even 2020. I'm interested in how you, speaking to a, a predominantly Black congregation, have dealt with the issues of the last year um, as they have arisen on obviously a national scale in a way that we, we haven't seen for a little bit. Oh man, that's that's a great question. And uh, man, I'm a you know I'm a social activist, and, uh, and I believe uh, you know because people have uh, painted uh, or gave us what they call a social gospel a bad name. Now you know. Uh, and by the way, I've had my you know my my uh, my outlook on that and basically if if you give it to poor people they call it socialism but if you give it to rich people it's called capitalism it's called yeah. stimulus okay or the you know yeah you save money 100 yep, yep, yep. <laughs> and if you look at what's happened and what um, if you look at what's happened in in the last two years uh where big large companies are still making millionaires are still giving their board members raises while people don't mm -hmm. have a job and now they're they're suing the government because you know over three hundred dollars a week or whatever the case may be and they said well you guys are being lazy and this and that um here's here's the message that i give to our church that uh, god loves us and uh we're in a situation not because of anything we did wrong or whatever the case may be, 
we we serve a God who can work things out. And so we're placed in this situation, uh, not by our own merit or not, nothing that we ask for in a lot of cases. Um, but uh, ironically, you asked, we're, we're actually doing a, a community uh, a restorative justice piece, hmm. you know, uh, because there's a lot of education that needs to go on in the black neighborhoods as well, how we interact with police. And, this. and by the way, there's not a class up in Carmel for how you interact with police. Yep. But we have to we have to tell our young boys and girls how to how to behave uh, with, with with policemen. Uh, so, you know, we tell we the message is clear that God is still who He is. He hasn't relinquished His throne. He hasn't changed who He is. Uh, we're going to continue to worship Him. We're going to continue to do, but we're going to continue to be disciples. Okay, we're going to continue to be disciples, and disciples make disciples, and disciples, and we believe that the Lord will take care of us, and that's been the narrative from the black church for years and years, the resiliency of the the, the slave that was on the plantation who didn't know much scripture, and he, he and couldn't even read in most cases, but he believed that God would rescue him. That's our story. That's my story. And a lot of people are trying to strip that away from us. Um, you know, and you can't put it this way. I think I read the other day, if you're if you're looking at at your at yourself as being uh, the the children of Israel versus being the Egyptians that oppressed them. That may be the wrong look. Okay. Okay. You yeah. can't. It can't be both. You know. You can't be both. And so it's important for us to know, and uh, it's important for us to be educated. And I think there's not a lot of education that goes on in what we call the gatekeepers. Uh, there, there are systems uh, that 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 go on. And at a stroke of a pen or a vote or something can change uh, how my neighborhood functions on any given day or any given year. And so we have to tear down those silos of systems mm. where uh, where we where we're able to have these candid conversations. But you can't make a decision about something you don't know. Not a not an educated decision. Yeah. All too often, people uh, have uh, their their resident experts on the black neighborhood, hmm. and uh, that that's a problem. Okay, uh, that that's a problem. One of the things I was able to do, if I may add, uh, there was a white congregation, actually a group of guys who meet, uh, and I started meeting with them on Zoom during COVID, and uh, one guy. You know, he he. he I'm, I'm just on the mission. He says, I'm just going to show you, you know. So he made arrangements to come and spend time with me. And I took him around the neighborhood. And he, he had to apologize to me. He says, man, I just didn't know. Hmm. Didn't know. Which is, which is uh, consistent with scripture. When Jesus saw the multitude, he had compassion. And when he had compassion, the word compassion in this in its sense means he got into their skin. He he empathized with them. But not only did he empathize, he did something about their condition. You can't make a decision about something you don't see. And oftentimes the black neighborhood, whether it's the school board or whatever the case may be. They make decisions based off what they don't see. Yeah. And they neighborhoods. Seriously. Uh, the, the city of Indianapolis is finally uh, coming to grips that they demolished the only black functioning neighborhood uh, with Lockfield Gardens and the Indiana, Indiana Avenue where everything was there for us. 
they they tore it down. And so, I mean, we have to have these conversations without being touchy. Mm. You know, when we start, when I speak about race and stuff, man, you know, and, and you hear it, and then uh, especially on social media, we need to get over this. That's what they tell us. We need to get over it. And I'm not the one enslaved you and this and that. But here's the meat of the matter. If there's generational wealth, there's got to be generational debt. Yeah. <laughs> so if I don't have anything to pass on to my children, then you're creating a welfare system right there. Yeah. And that's what they did with the Homestead Act. That's what they did with the GI Bill. The GI Bill created generational wealth for those who were white. Hmm. You know, I, I never thought, I never gave much thought why people were so intrigued with politics until, you know, kind of this last administration. And, you know, right, wrong, and different. I, I believe the last president, he did openly what other politicians did privately. I mean, he just, yeah. he, he, so I really don't have anything against him. My point is, is that, you know, people grab these positions because in politics, when laws, when laws are made, when laws are made, they affect everyone all the way down to the lowest level. They affect what schools stay open. They affect what teachers, the wages that teachers are making. I mean, it affects everything. And so the the, the neighborhood uh, that we serve in has been hit hard by politicians or people that are in what I call gatekeepers that make these decisions. So why is there so much crime? Why is it? Uh, this is going to come out in my book. It's a great illustration. Um, I, I, I like the wild westerns. I like those westerns, man. And, uh, um, and, but, and I kind of work in the prison too. The reason why prisons work is because we take care of the prisoners' needs. Okay, we feed them, we make sure that everything's clean, you know. Now, what happens when they don't get those resources? They begin to riot. Hmm. And this is what happens in our neighborhood when there's lack of resources. People begin to do what they want to do. And they do. And, and so the worst thing you can do to a person is take away their hope. Yeah. And that's what that's what happens in, in our neighborhood. I apologize for these firecrackers, man. Uh, it's all right. Yeah, but that's the worst thing you can do is take someone's hope away. Because now they're living by survival, not by success. And those are the things that transpire in our neighborhood. What what if I what if I told you that you're never gonna be successful? You're never gonna do anything because everything's stacked against you. We're not gonna put a store in your neighborhood. And then we're gonna say we're gonna say if you get this welfare system, you you have you can't get the name brand stuff. You talk about obesity, but you can't afford to get fruit. And so the thing, you know, we have to change the narrative. We have to have, and this it comes back to the church, we have to have people who are saved, who love Jesus Christ, who love their fellow man in these positions to change these laws. Because if not, it just it just benefits the people that 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 is supposed, you know, that they 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 make it benefit, and it never makes it back down to the neighborhoods where it needs to be. Yeah. So then they say, "Well, I'm gonna give you a grant," um, but I, I I despise grants because grants are not sustainable. Hmm. It gets you, uh, but it, it doesn't get you to where it's. You know, what, what does a grant mean to me five years from now? 
So uh, I could talk about this all day, man. This is my passion. But uh, No, I love know. this. I love this. And I have a question like, as we sort of reach the end of our time together, though, I, I do want to dive into this a little bit more because the thing, the things you're talking about, be it the the laws in place, the systems in place, the, the history that has brought us to where we are now, I do believe that there is a there is a great debt owed. You you talked about the idea of restorative justice. You know, um, our church talks a lot about uh, racial reconciliation, and in in my quiet moments, I, I sometimes ponder, it's all well and good, the idea of racial reconciliation, but do we want it, whether purposefully or accidentally, on our own terms? You know, who's defining what justice is? Who's defining what reconciliation is? Who's defining what restoration is? When you, What do you mean when you say restorative justice? Because I think that's so valuable, because I think the only way that we're ever going to make progress is if we let those who have been wronged define what justice is. And so I'm interested in how you define that. Well, first of all, I, I believe America needs to, uh, needs to face the fact that they did the most egregious act to a race of people that they could ever do. And they have not apologized for wholeheartedly for slavery. I mean, and and uh, and whether that's in a monetary a monetary form or whether it's in a uh, tax form or whatever the case be, they need to look that in the eye yeah. and say, "Hey, we need something about that." Um, and it's not the first time. I mean, they paid the Japanese yeah. when, when they had them in, in, in camps. Okay, uh, there are other people. The Germans paid. There's some things that can be done, but mm-hmm. to just say, man, get over it. Man, it, you know, and as far as the church is concerned, uh, you know, we we say we're multicultural or whatever the case, but what that normally means uh, in in black and white churches means I may have a, I may have a, a couple that's white in my church, you know, so we're we're multi. Well, we're, 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 we're multi-ethnic or whatever. And then uh, what that means in white church is that I get a couple of black guys to come up and, and, and be on the worship team. And, you know, they come in and, and then we're a multi-ethnic church. And that's just not the way it's supposed to be. Okay, we have to spend time with one another. We have to learn each other. We have to get to grow with one another and not look at one another as, you know, someone's better than someone. And I just think until the church, the church is in prime position with COVID and everything to do the right thing. Um, But I just believe that if we atone for and accept and I'm not saying that you have to say your family enslaved my family. It's not that. But there is, the truth of the matter is somebody's family enslaved someone. Okay? But to say that it didn't happen or to say that we need to get over it, man, that's just unacceptable. Man. Because if you take that stand, you'll never look at me as doing anything or, or getting ahead or whatever the case may be. I don't want to hand out. It's not what I want. I do want a, I do want a fair seat at the table. And I think that's every uh, black person's, uh, well, you know, I think that's their aspiration. They just want to see that at the table. Uh, a fair, uh, you know, because you keep changing the rules, uh, moving the goalposts. Uh, yeah. And, and again, I, I don't want to push this as though it's, you know, it's us against you or them or, it's not that. But the fact of the matter is, is that whoever did it, there's been some injustices done. And, in t- and there are people now that are sitting in prime positions to get things done. But again, we have to have disciples. We have to have servant leaders in those positions if they're going to push any type of thing forward. And that's, that's my thought on that. Yeah. Yeah. 
Wow. Pastor Curry, as, as we close this off, I, this whole conversation has given me like an even more renewed respect and love and value for the black church in, in so many ways. Uh, just listing off a few things that we covered in this conversation. One is how invested they are in the community. Um, they're there, they're part of everything that goes on and they're just a continuous force for good uh, and where, where they are. Um, another thing is just learning what it means to be a people who overcome oppression. I feel like the, the Bible was written for people who are in oppression. And when you look at all the stories, it, it covers that. And a lot of times from our privileged white communities, we don't understand what that means. And we can learn a lot from, from how you all, uh, what, what you can teach us about that, uh, what it means to have hope. Um, I, I have immense respect that every time, um, uh, black people and specifically the black, black church you, you've never asked for more than just to be respected like just treat us like like humans you're not asking what you deserve which is much much more than than uh what what we we're often willing to to give but uh man every, every time it just seems like the the black church just embodies the spirit of jesus more than any other group uh, that's out there when i look at what this means um so i i thank you for coming on and for sharing that and for renewing my respect and love for what what the church does and specifically black congregations and we are just excited to continue to get to know you and to get things i heard you say something about a book we're looking forward to that coming out you got more news about that yeah I um, I'm, in, I'm finishing up my project actually i'm in my last class so there will be a book uh and it'd be entitled uh, uh, Thy Kingdom Come, Thy Will Be Done, Serving Leadership in Urban Settings. Mm, right. We're excited. You know, a lot of the issues that we talked about today will be included in that, man. And uh, I really want to uh, take the myth out of the racism piece uh, mm. because we've got, you know, even with this critical race theory that's going on and all this stuff that's, you know, the dialogue, man. We have to get to the meat of the matter. So, I mean, yeah. that's important. Looking forward to that. Yeah, we are too. Thank you so much for coming on. And um, you know, I it took us seven or eight episodes in a conversation about race. I think this is the first time we've talked about the concept of reparations that we touched on a little bit there at the end. And when we talk about education, I would love for um, any of uh, any white people who are listening to this podcast, if you don't know about the concept of reparations and, and what that means. I, I still, I don't know how, how much people understand what that is. I, I, from an education standpoint where I started, I think probably six or seven years ago, Ta-Nehisi Coates wrote an article called the case for reparations. It's really incredible. I don't think it should be the last thing you read about reparations, but you have, if you haven't read anything, I think it should be the first. Um, and it might contextualize a little more what pastor Curry was sharing with us. Cause I think that in and of itself, we could do a hundred podcasts about that. That's a super important conversation. And Pastor Curry, I appreciate you getting into that a little bit and, and maybe opening the door for, for us to talk about that more in the future. Yes, I think it's important. And again, you know, um, it, it, it's just putting, you know, doing what's, what's the right thing to do. I mean, it can't be a statute of limitations on that. Someone said before, if you, if you stole from me, uh, does it matter that 20 years has gone by and everything ought to be cool because you stole from me 20 years ago? No, no. Things have compounded. There's trauma. There's a lot of things involved with that. And, uh, you know, again, reparations can be more than just money. Mm -hmm. And it should be just money. But again, whatever they decide to come up with, uh, it, it has to be something because America has to acknowledge what they did. Yeah. I, I, can, I, can I say this? And I, I know we have to go, but, um, you know, a lot of things, you know, we in, in, in this time of George Floyd and a lot of things that are going on, um, you know, a lot of African-Americans are being attacked or uh, for, you know, their lack of patriotism or whatever the case may be. But even when I served in the military, I didn't serve. The flag means something different to me. Yeah. Okay. And I think to respect that, you know. Um, and so, you know, Jesus was not a, a donkey or, or an elephant. He, 
he had his own party. He had, he, uh, he he was a lamb first, and then he was a lion. And so I think we have to quit mixing politics in the church, and uh, we have to quit, you know, making our generalizations or prejudging because I because the flag means something different to me than I don't love America. I love America. I serve my country. Uh, I just don't love everything America stands for. Yeah. yeah. Well said. Well, Pastor Kerr, we are so grateful for you, for what you're doing in the community, for what you're doing in the Department of Corrections as you continue your ministry there. Uh, we, we are just excited for, uh, for this relationship. We look forward to hearing more about you and seeing your book when it comes out. And um, yeah, we're just very grateful to, to be on this side of this conversation. Well, thank you, man. Looking forward to working with you guys. Thank you for taking the time uh, to interview us. Uh, these stories don't get out. Thank you for, I thank God for you guys having this platform uh, that we can have these open and candid conversations. Yes. Well, thank you so much. We, we do. It means the world for you, for you to be here. We're incredibly uh, grateful and humbled. So thank you, Pastor Curry. Thank you, man. I appreciate you guys. Thank you again to Pastor Richard Curry for joining us. I, uh, you obviously don't necessarily get to hear this, but after the podcast wrapped up, we talked for like another half hour and what a wealth of of wisdom and joy, encouragement, compassion that man is. We're so fortunate that he was with us tonight and we thank you so much for listening. As always, you can check us out on your favorite podcast streaming platform. Uh, you can subscribe to make sure that you never miss an episode. Converge is a production of Common Ground Northeast and you can reach out to us at justice at cgnortheast.org. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you for listening to Converge, a production by Common Ground Northeast. If you like what you hear, or if you're willing to get uncomfortable in this conversation with us, please click on that follow or subscribe button. And if you want to share your comments or feedback with us, feel free to email us anytime at justice at cgnortheast.com. Until next time.